The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. If theology and science are both in the pursuit of truth, will they ever agree on what happens when we die? Was Doubting Thomas of the Bible story the perfect description of a modern scientist? And if so, why did Jesus call him less blessed than those who believe without proof? Welcome to IONS NDE Radio, brought to you by the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. In the last few years, books with titles like Proof of Heaven and Heaven is for Real have sold millions of copies, and yet scientific-minded readers... Let's call them skeptics rather than doubting Thomases, would say that neither of those books prove the premise of their titles. So to repeat my opening question, if theology and science are both in pursuit of the truth, will they ever reach the same conclusions about the existence and nature of the afterlife? Well, to examine that question, we have with us today what I would call a true skeptic on the subject of NDEs, Dr. Walter Tremer. Walt fulfills the true definition of the word skeptic, not so much a doubting Thomas, but someone with a mind open to the possibilities. Walt Tremor's life has explored a long-time continuum as an archaeologist. He has excavated sites around the world dating back to 10,000 B.C. As a Russian-Chinese interpreter for six years in the Far East, he has spanned cultures. And in the present, he has been a professor of anthropology, and spent two decades directing gifted programs for a school district. In his spare time, he mushes dog teams down the Yukon at 40 below. Walt, welcome to NDE Radio. Hi, Lee. It's uh, exciting for me to be here, and uh, I'm looking forward to kicking around some ideas with you. Great. Walt, in the 30th anniversary conference of IONS, one of its founders, Dr. Raymond Moody, spent much of his time on defining the true meaning of the word skeptic, and not as someone too lazy to consider alternatives, but someone with an open mind, someone willing to examine alternative possibilities. Am I right in guessing that a good scientist fits Dr. Moody's definition of a true skeptic? I think that's, that's on the mark. Um, I think as a scientist, uh, we really have to be open-minded, because... And looking at science through the different centuries, I think it's always sort of a self-correcting vehicle that what was believed in the 15th century almost as fact now in the 21st century is, you know, questioned as a possibility for skeptics to look at. And so I think that's, that's right. As a scientist, and we have a whole range on a continuum of, of science, people who see evidence and they accept that as absolutely hard cold fact there are scientists that see evidence and they say well is this really the true fact or do we have to explore further and there are scientists that really have to be sold over and over again to accept any evidence at all so i think there's a, a real continuum of of looking at evidence and first saying, oh, that's a possibility of being true, and that moves over to saying, well, that's probably true, moving over to presenting a theory that's saying, well, this, if proved with enough evidence, will be the truth, and at that end of the continuum. So I 
I think scientists are all along that continuum, but I myself like to sort of place myself in the middle where mm-hmm. as an archaeologist, if I find an artifact, uh, I need evidence that how I'm interpreting that artifact is is as true to a fact as I can get. Now, if I'm digging up a 10,000-year-old artifact, I can't see the people sitting there working with that particular stone tool. So I can't say it's 100% a fact. But I can, through evidence presented, get as close, I think, as humanly possible to the truth of that evidence. So I think there are all sorts of shades of being a skeptic and, and using skepticism to explore the evidence. I have a friend who uh, studied uh, anthropology and some archaeology at the University of Maine and and went out, did some digs, and came up with um, evidence that, that um, civilizations here or occupations here preceded, I think, 11,000 B.C. Right. He was roundly condemned for it <laughs> at the time because the thinking was, no, that's it. There wasn't nothing that pre, you know, pre-existed that date. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and it was really scorned. I mean, it was almost a matter of faith from the scientific community that he was wrong until later on actually it was proved true. Yeah, that that happens time and time again. And, and if you, we flip over into human evolution and look at in the 19, 1911 uh, with Piltdown Man, that when the, the Piltdown skull supposedly was found, then... Everybody interpreted that a certain way of the relationship between humans and and the Piltdown Man, and then of course it was found to be false with a chimpanzee jaw put together with a human skull, and and there were a lot of red-faced anthropologists running around, and I think <laughs> even still today, we as anthropologists sort of face that that uh, anchor around our neck of people saying, "Well, look at you all bought." down man and all of you were dead wrong and so you know how can we believe anything you say so yeah as i said science is always self-correcting itself and Mm -hmm. uh, let me throw in a thought that i was thinking about sort of the framework in which we're we're viewing our discussion and when i was doing the work with nasa back for the challenger i was i sat in on a committee on um, mars exploration and the mars initiative and, and being so involved, it, it was looking at space, and and I was looking further and further out into space. And, and I think this is an, an analogy for a near-death experience and the link between near-death experiences and the other side, that as we go out into space and, say, uh, the, the Mars rover or Mars surveyor is finding little evidence possibly of microbes and possibly then interpretation of some form of life. And so as we go out into asteroids and planets and Mars, we we look for evidence that life existed out there. And further and further out, we have the schools of thought that there are aliens out there that with the study program trying to send back messages to us that they're out there and we can have contact with them and ultimately have discussions and and so forth. And I thought that was a a good analogy to this this whole, at least to me, near-death experience and that, that we're looking out into the other side for 
term that's properly used. And mm. we're looking for messages out there that come back to us and and give us messages and information from from out there. And the analogy being space and aliens out there and life on other planets. That there's a a world or whatever you want to call it out there that we're reaching out that ultimately we may have contact with on an established basis. And at the same time, those aliens are sending messages back to us that they're there and they may want to communicate. And it seems to me, to me, uh, that's like a parallel to near-death experiences and the other side, that, that there are people who are here in near-death experiences and going out beyond the Earth's surface and encountering these, if you want to call them aliens, which is not, a, I think, a complimentary term in a lot of people, how they say aliens with three heads and all that. But mm-hmm. that we go out and there are beings out there that we're trying to establish evidence, just like the surveyor on Mars surface, that they are there, the form they're taking, and how we are going to deal with that. And I think there's an analogy there. I, I can see that. Um, interestingly enough, um, some of the science, scientifically trained astronauts turn to mystical belief after seeing the wonders of space. Do you, yeah. do you think it could require a, a personal mystical experience to become a to become a, a believer, and if so, will science ever accept that possibility as evidence? Well, you're right on the money there, because I, I've talked to a lot of the astronauts and and some that had walked on the surface of the moon, and others that were just in orbit, and they looked back and saw that great blue ball fo- floating in the blackness of space, and and they all almost universally said it it was like a, a religious experience to to look back and see all of mankind, all of achievement, all of humanity on the surface of that great blue ball floating in space. And, and yes, they really did parallel it to any religious experience that they had here on Earth. And so, yeah, that was a very consistent observation by the astronauts. Mm. Um, staying with the space example for a moment... Uh, a good example of the true revolution in science came about in our lifetimes with the general acceptance in the scientific community of a Big Bang theory rather than a steady-state universe theory. Right. And, and re- religious folks really rejoiced because the science was suddenly growing closer to the faith community's belief in a creator and a beginning as described in Genesis. Do, do you think the same dramatic reconciliation could occur somehow with the study of NDEs? I, I sort of look at NDEs, I think I you have a broader understanding and perception of NDEs than I do. And, you know, I'm a novice at NDE stuff. And I think in one of your, your previous mentions, you, you said there are 50 million people worldwide that have had NDEs. And, of course, I've only read a handful. So, I, you know, I feel I've only sort of peeked through the window of this whole NDE experience. And so, as such, I'm, I'm certainly not with a firm grasp on the, the wide range of NDEs. But uh, from what I see of, of the NDEs, um, I accept that near-death experiences, and it, it brings up a lot of questions in my mind that some of which we may get, may get into. Um, 
I sort of picture our discussion as as one of those cush balls, you know, that that has a ball with all those little rubber strands going out in every direction. And mm-hmm. and I think if near death experiences is the, the center of a cush ball, there are so many ideas and concepts and discussions going out in all directions that we can we have with near death experiences. But back to the main point, I see near death experiences as as a fact. I think it happens. Um, I have a couple questions coming up with that, but but let me get back to that. I accept near-death experiences as really happening, and 15 million people, as you said, have had them. What I question as a skeptic is the link established between near-death experiences and the other side, that people who have had near-death experiences come back and and uh, the guest you had on a couple of weeks ago, um, I think Carol Vengroff, her name was. Mm-hmm. Uh, she described in great detail her her visit 50 years ago with a, a, like a, a world of happy people, and she had her life reviewed and and came felt she had all knowledge out there as a, as a 12 year old, and so she described the near death experience to her in very great detail. What I question is. Does near-death experiences, as accepted as, as a real experience situation, does that fulfill evidence that there is an other side as it is described by these people who have your near-death experiences? Um, that would be my question. But in talking about near-death experiences, again, back into the scientific world that I sort of live in, um, I think in reading near-death experiences, the first thing I was thinking of is establishing death itself. If near-death experiences exist, then you have to have a, a pretty good marker on what death is. Now, I think that's changed because years ago, centuries ago, when a person died, uh, the, all the vital signs stopped, and so they were assumed to be dead. Well, with with organ transplants and things like that in the 20th century, we had to really look at, again at the point of death. And so now I think there are like three schools of thought. There, there's the, the whole brain concept of death where when you're, all your organs stop and cease permanently and cannot come back, then you're dead. But then there's a thing called, you know, the higher brain aspect that defines death as when you are unconscious, in other words, below the conscious level, and incapable of coming back to consciousness. That's that's the the higher brain definition of death. And then there's there's another you know school of thought that, that we have touched on before as saying there's there's a level of consciousness that does not die that's that's eternal and and so that brings up a lot of questions of when people die and then come back see i would probably argue that when when like the the carol mentioned she froze to death and then came back well just the fact that she came back asked the questions was she really dead and then the question you have to ask as a skeptic is, at what point did death occur? Because it has to be permanent. 
in the one definition. And if she comes back, then she didn't die. So how do people with near-death experiences handle that? Do they say, I was really dead, or I was semi-dead, or I was near <laughs> death? You see, the definition of death has to be established somewhere. And yes. not mutual. I was reading some stuff the other day that, that looking at death and life as mutually exclusive events. And that's sort of not the case, because what is the point of death? When all your organs shut down, or when your consciousness shuts down, or or what? So Well, it, it, it could be argued that a death never really occurs except to the physical body. If we have a soul that preceded uh, the body and extends uh, a consciousness after the body dies, then... Um, St. Paul said we're, it's given that we die but once, but we don't ever die really if, if, um, if there's a, a continual soul, even in cases of reincarnation. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a parallel when I think of that and of the, the consciousness, the soul extending out past death and always existing and then going out the other end, in other words, before life is formed. And so the soul is eternal. I think then people of that belief face the same thing that we do as scientists with with the Big Bang Theory or the origin of the universe and life. That how how do you define et- eternal? You know where that means there's never been a beginning point. And so, as a scientist, who you know, I sort of strive for evidence of certain points established. Well. We can't explain the Big Bang Theory or the origin of. You can say the Big Bang Theory, you know, it started by certain sparks and chemicals and and reactions and forces coming together and boom, you know, Big Bang. Well, how do you do that with the soul? What was the starting point of the soul? Well, there's no starting point if you're saying it's eternal. So we've sort of faced the same problem. Well, if, um, if there was a creator... I think all religions say that we're, we including uh, the, no, the notion of soul are created beings. And so there was a beginning at some point, whether it was at the Big Bang or, uh, at the, at the creation of the earth. It's hard, it's really hard and it's impossible, of course, to say. But I think everyone pretty much envisions that we were created. Now religion talks about eternal life. And there's no NDEs certainly don't prove that. It only proves that we have an existence that extends beyond the death of the body. But who's to say whether we go on forever or not? Yeah, see, that's that's the point I'm making. That that as you just said, it, the life or consciousness or soul extends past death, and so, so you have to have a, a dead point. But but you're saying the soul really lives forever and that gets us into a whole other area of if if the soul lasts forever and then we sort of i I picture it as as like a plane let's call it level a and that's the consciousness that has no beginning and no end and then Mm -hmm. we drop down to level b for our life here on earth which is a definable start of the embryo death point and then we go back up into this eternal consciousness. I mean, you're, you're sort of getting into Hinduism and, and all things like that, where the soul comes down 
and lives a contaminated life here on Earth and then reunites with Brahma and Moksha and, and up into the consciousness, which is eternal, then, then that sort of asks a question in my mind, then what is reality? What is the real life? Is the real life consciousness and soul and then our, our physical life here on Earth is not the real reality. The real reality is is level above that of consciousness. And that, you know, that, that, go ahead. That would be a, a Buddhist uh, point of view that we're really living in a in a dream world here. And I think some uh, Native Americans might agree with that too. That the re- the real world is the is the eternal one. Yeah, and, and see, as a scientist, again, you know, I'm. I'm oriented to to what I would call like hard fact evidence that proves something exists, and that, of course, is really on the other end of the continuum of faith, where where you believe in an, an eternal God who then created eternal souls, and and that's based on faith, and I'm sort of on the other end now. The basic question you asked at the start of the show was, can can sort of these two ends of the continuum, you know, meet in the middle, and and there's there's a reality that is broad enough to encompass both scientific fact and faith living together. Uh, again, I like to sit in the middle here, and as a scientist, I need hardcore evidence of something. But on the other hand, I think the the mind always has to be open to the existence of things we have not yet discovered, and I think that that sort of touches out on on the faith uh, continuum. Where I always said it in a temporal sequence, and at the start of the show, you had mentioned I'm sort of like a, a time capsule that has floated through ancient cultures and archaeology. As a teacher, I'm dealing with the present technology, and as a NASA NASA astronaut, I was really merged into the future. That I sort of see things in in progressive timelines, and I always look at. I read a lot of explorers of the 1800s going to the Antarctic and trying to discover what was there. No idea what was there, but gathering evidence of what was there. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's. I always look at things like that, and that's. I guess why I'm a skeptic. I see what exists now, but I also know there's a, a lot out there we don't know. And getting back to, to Carol's show, Carol Vingaroff, uh, she said in her, her talk that when she was getting all this knowledge, um, that her brain was limited, she could not take back. Um, then she made the comment that it, it made me believe anything is possible. And that really rings the bell. That I, I think we see the world on the evidence that we face now and have accrued through centuries and centuries of questioning, of research, and of, of looking at the evidence. But in the continuum of time, we may be just babes in the wood that have a lot to discover. And I think that's consistent with what you're saying, that, that perhaps there is an eternal soul out there. Perhaps there is the other side that are full of 
as Carol said, happy relatives and, and great knowledge and life reviews and everything. There may be. Anything is possible. But I, as a scientist, I, I need some evidence. And, right. and evidence the scientifically based that's reliable, that always comes to the same, you know, causation and, and effect and, and things like that. But as a, a skeptic, you should have an open mind thinking, all this stuff, you know, maybe centuries from now, we'll all be souls wandering around and, you know, in open contact with, like, earthbound beings. Maybe. Mm. It might be possible. But show me the evidence. You know, show me one the of, money. <laughs> one of the things that uh, ND uh, experiencers um, report often uh, are what I think we've termed veridical stories of things that, uh, as they rose out of their body, say they died on the operating table or their heart stopped, let's call it that, and they go up to the ceiling, their perspective is from the ceiling, and they're listening to what the doctors and nurses are saying, watch how they're trying to start the heart again, perhaps they float through a wall or go a couple of miles away and hear their relatives talking about their situation, and then when they're brought back, when their heart started again, they can give, they report Actually, what they saw um, and and um, heard and so forth that they couldn't possibly, their brain could not possibly have picked up lying there, um, flatlining on the operating table. Right. So I, I look, I have to relate that to a, a little story that you had mentioned sometime before. Of, uh, and I'm really fuzzy on the details, but I think it was in India that a a girl was like died and didn't really die, but died near-death experience. And she what? met her grandfather, and her grandfather told her where gold was. And she came back, and and she led her parents to a spot that nobody really had known before, and and they found gold. And so it right. was a sort of verification of the message from her grandfather. How could you explain that? I can't right. explain it. And I can't explain, you know, some of the experiences that you're talking about of, of people who were up in the corner floating when they were in this, what we will call now a dead state, and they heard people in the other room. Um, that, the gold story, there's no explanation that I can offer. And again, that's a that's a good thing to look at because how, how was that extrasensory perception, uh, just what was going on there? I have no clue. On the other hand, the... the Experiences of people going into that, that near death state and then then seeing the surgeons working on them and everything. I would question that looking through the lens of of cultural experiences. In other words, uh, there's a lot of medical shows that do the same thing that people may pick up ideas. And this sort of relates over to the Carol. I keep getting back to Carol, but it was such a, a rich thing for me to to hear what she was was talking about. And all her description, and now this is the cultural anthropologist coming out and me pure, all that she described to me, all her people meeting happy people, her life review, uh, knowledge, uh, and then she got a later description of uh, life and love, that love is the basis of everything and uh, good and evil. It seems to me, listening to her describe all these things, it was a construct of 
all life experiences that she had in a religious life, that she was just sort of, and I don't want to use parroting as the term, but she was just repeating all things that she probably learned all her life about good and evil and parents and values and things like that. See, that's the anthropology end of me, seeing mm-hmm. that that kind of thing through that. On the other end is my open mind that that has no explanation at all for things like the, the child finding gold and things like that. So again, there's an open continuum of going to what I think there's, there's you know, evidence of, of just near-death experiences being a compilation of life experiences that have set in the mind and, and settled there and then came back and under certain circumstances, near-death experience for point one. And then there's the other world that we have no idea or explanation of that we're moving toward explaining. Right. <laughs> well, <laughs> we are just just about out of time here. Whoa, that was really quick. We, we haven't even gotten we haven't even gotten to uh, quantum physics or uh, oh, multidimensional or states and, or yeah, any or of those language. things too. <laughs> yeah, oh, <laughs> that are so interesting. A lot of things to go out on, and uh, maybe we'll come back someday. We, we, uh, I can see uh, lots that we could still talk about. Yeah, but uh, but it won't happen today, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I want to thank our guest, Doctor Doctor Walt Tremer, for a terrific discussion of the possibilities for reconciling theology and science. And if you would like to listen to this show again or any other of our programs, please visit our website at nderadio.org. And for more information about IANDS, please check that website at IANDS.org. There will be information on that site about our our upcoming Labor Day weekend conference on NDEs, health, and healing in Newport Beach, California, from August 28th through the 31st. I look forward to seeing you there. Thanks for listening.